Hello and welcome to another episode of Mastermind.fm. In this episode, we interview Chandan Loda from Cointracker.io. Cointracker is a crypto portfolio tracking tool and also they offer tax preparation services through the software and as consultants and this is one of the favorite tools for me in the crypto space because it allows you to keep track of all your investments especially with the DeFi space that we've been seeing rising over the past year it's very easy to get lost with all your little bits and pieces of crypto investments here and there. So in this episode, we talk about how that works, how the, the portfolio tracking works, but also we dive deep into the tax implications of crypto and the different scenarios where you might be taxable and also in what ways you might be taxable. Now, we base it mostly on the US and the US mode of taxation, but actually the US is probably the most advanced country in the world when it comes to crypto taxation and law and regulations so I think most other countries if not following their tax laws they for sure keep an eye on what's happening in the US so I think it was good to see kind of get that general background of how things work in the US but in general Chandan was amazing in this episode and I really recommend it to anyone who's got any crypto investments or is planning to make some crypto investments this is definitely do not miss show so hope you enjoy it and as always if you like the show please give us a thumbs up on itunes leave us a good review message us on twitter let us know how we're doing email us podcast at mastermind.fm enjoy the show and see you in the next episode Hi Chandan, welcome to Mastermind.fm. Uh, to start off, just let us know what Coin Tracker does, and then we'll get into the nitty-gritty of all the products and services you offer. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So Coin Tracker is a cryptocurrency portfolio tracking and tax compliance software. And essentially, we make it really easy for people who are owning Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies to track their portfolio in one place and ensure that they have their taxes done in an easy way. All right. So, and just to be clear, then Coin Tracker can be used to track any crypto, or is it a specific set of crypto? And secondly, is it can it be used for different exchanges and even self-hosted uh, wallets? Yeah, basically all of the above. So we support thousands of different cryptocurrencies, pretty much any of the top ones that you would have ever heard of, hundreds of integrations with different exchanges all around the world. Uh, we work with local blockchains for hardware wallets, paper wallets, software wallets. So wherever you have your crypto, we want to help you track it. All right. So I'm going to hand over to my dad, Joseph, as usual with us on the show, who has a, a few questions, and then I'll be interjecting myself from time to time. Welcome, Shandan. Thank you so much. I have a number of questions, mainly related to tax, but not only. Well, let's first understand exactly your organization. You're based in San Francisco, USA, right? Uh, I personally am based in San Francisco, but our company actually is fully distributed. So we have people in, uh, you know, seven different cities, five different time zones. But only in the USA? No, actually, um, in various countries. That's good to hear, because I will come to other questions later on. How long have you been in this business? Four years, uh, if I understand well. That's right. Yeah, about, just about four years. We started the company in August 2017. Okay. Therefore, you have accumulated a certain amount of experience. The thing is, um, speaking 
for my own generation. I'm 64 years old. People have accumulated some savings. They are looking at the pace at which uh, cryptocurrencies have been increasing in popularity and in value as well. People do not want to miss out. On the other hand, most of them wouldn't want to invest all their wealth in cryptocurrencies or in any other single type of investment they want to spread. What is your advice with regard to the portfolio that that one has to keep so, uh, in terms I, of percentage holdings? Makes what sense. would I, be your view? Right. So first of all, I should just uh, disclaim this by saying I'm not a financial advisor. This is just my personal opinion. But uh, <laughs> if you're actually thinking about making investment decisions, it's worth talking to a financial advisor. So with that said, uh, I basically think you can think of Bitcoin as a way to diversify your portfolio. It's another asset that allows you to get access to sort of a uh, uncorrelated uh, asset in your portfolio and therefore should be like considered by anyone who's serious about investment. I think going all in on crypto is very risky and very dangerous. Cryptocurrency, while I think is fascinating, really interesting, and has a lot of potential, is at the end of the day, still a monetary experiment one decade in. And so putting all of your money into crypto, I think is very unadvisable. On the other hand, totally ignoring cryptocurrency is a bit short-sighted, given all of the uh, economic forces we're seeing both in the US and abroad in terms of fiscal stimulus and politics in central banks and things like that, um, especially seeing Bitcoin rising to take the place um, of, of a global store of value. So I can speak to my personal portfolio. I basically dollar cost average into Bitcoin every week. And I just have that on an ongoing basis week after week. And then I don't spend too much time trying to day trade or time the market. I take advantage of the highs and the lows. And I think currently about 10% of my portfolio is in Bitcoin, which is probably over-indexed for the average investor or person. I think for the average investor or person who has paid off all their debts and is just trying to build their investment portfolio, even something like a 1% allocation in Bitcoin, maybe up to 5% would be like a reasonable thing to consider. Just to interject there um, while agreeing with uh, mostly everything you said. And in the US, I know that there's one Bitcoin which allows you to do the dollar cost averaging. I was wondering whether you know of any other services available outside the US or you can do it in any other easy way uh, manually, so to say. So you could definitely do it manually um, by you know whatever exchange you, you choose. It's a bit of a hassle, though. Um, in terms of specific platforms that are available outside the U.S., I'd have to get back to you on, I, I don't know off the top of my head, which ones are available in which countries, but I know there are a number of platforms that are now offering dollar cost averaging. So I know Square does this, Coinbase does this, uh, Binance U.S. does this. I'm not sure about Binance.com. Maybe they do too. River.com does this. So there are a number of platforms out there that offer this kind of type of stuff. And I would definitely recommend looking into the just general concept of dollar cost averaging, whatever your preferred platform may be. Uh, many people um, are very interested in cryptos. People my age um, would need support normally. And I think that your organization would be you know, one of the best uh, in terms of offering support to somebody who would like to invest in cryptos, get, you know, independent, uh, knowledgeable advice. And then beyond that, there is also the issue of tax, which is important eventually um, as things, you know, proceed. Um, in terms, let's start with the, the support that somebody like me would get by, by joining you. 
I know that you have one of your products uh, is free, but then you have others um, that obviously are for a fee, um, more enhanced. What can you tell us about these products? Yeah, so we basically offer two services. One is around cryptocurrency portfolio assistance. And what that allows users to do is see all of their different cryptocurrency holdings in one place. So whether you're using some funds in hot wallets, like custodial exchanges, and other funds in cold wallets, for example, for longer term security or storage, like a ledger or treasure wallet, or some kind of paper wallet, we will combine all those into one place. We will show you your performance over time, average cost basis, different kinds of return metrics, and um, also allow you to take advanced tax strategies into account. Things like tax loss harvesting and and other strategies we can talk more about if, if people are interested. The free tier of that basically allows anyone to connect unlimited wallets and exchanges and see the aggregated transaction history and current balances of those wallets in one place. And then the paid tiers allow more detailed metrics, DeFi transaction center, more cost basis information, more advanced performance metrics, the tax loss harvesting strategies, things like that. These are also on available on mobile and on, on web. The second product is the tax solution. And what that does is it allows the user who already has all of their cryptocurrency transactions, wallets, exchanges synced in one place to be able to download their tax reports, which are basically reconciled ledgers of their full transaction history and the computed capital gains or losses for each tax year. And depending on which country you're in, we can help you get your information to your accountant or file directly with your tax authority. So for example, in the US, that's with the IRS, but in Canada, that's with the CRA, in the UK, that's with the HMRC, in Australia, it's with the ATO, whoever it might be. Yeah, actually, the US and the UK have traditionally been been seen as the leaders in terms of finance and tax. And uh, many countries are still struggling to understand the tax implications of, of cryptos. It seems that the US and the UK um, have taken the lead from what I have seen. And uh, most probably the other countries w- will follow what the US and the UK mainly are doing. Therefore, in the case of the USA, as we were saying, many tax people, you know, in the in the tax offices, sometimes are a bit slow in, you know, catching up with with the fast developments that uh, are happening in this area. What is the situation in the USA in terms of the IRS? Um, uh, has it caught up w- with all this and issued directives and uh, setting procedures? Issuing clear um, guidelines? I'm kind of laughing over here. Um, So uh, the the answer is yes and no. Yes, in the sense that the IRS in 2014, so I would say relatively early on, issued pretty clear guidance on how Bitcoin transactions should be taxed. It's a pretty simple, pretty plain English five-page PDF that anyone can go Google and, and find. The reason why it's yes and no is that, as you probably are familiar, the cryptocurrency space rapidly evolves, and especially over the last few years, has rapidly evolved. So we've gone from Bitcoin and a pretty simple mechanism for mining and sending transactions to thousands of cryptocurrencies, ICOs, decentralized finance and yield farming, all kinds of derivative trading platforms, 
self custody. You know, the the level of complexity has just grown astronomically, and there's definitely not clear guidance on all of these scenarios. For example, how to deal with taxes on staking, or what to do with synthetic derivatives on decentralized um, finance platforms. So what I would say in summary is I think the IRS knows about all of these different kinds of scenarios. I've personally gone to Washington, D.C. and talked to the people there who are making these rules. They are trying to do the right thing. They probably have covered the majority of use cases that a sort of a new person getting into the crypto field would need to worry about. Like what happens if you buy? What happens if you sell? What happens if you transfer? What happens if you do a crypto to crypto trade? The basic scenarios are pretty clearly covered. But when you get to the more advanced complexities, that's where it's a bit more of a gray area. I can understand. <laughs> okay, therefore, the first step, I would say, for a tax authority would be to have some data, have a database of uh, whoever owns cryptos. Do you think that the tax authorities can uh, approach um, exchanges to uh, get information from them with regards to people who hold cryptos? Yes. Uh, not only do I think they can do that, they have done that. Um, so there's a couple different ways that organizations like the IRS get information on who has taxable crypto events. The first is exactly what you just suggested, which is subpoenaing an exchange and asking them for their user information. So as you may have heard, this happened to Coinbase a few years ago from the IRS. They went to court about it and they ended up settling and basically sending the information of certain users who had met a certain transaction or transaction amount threshold to the IRS. And then subsequently, many of those users, tens of thousands of them, got warning letters from the IRS about their cryptocurrency taxes. They've also done that to exchanges outside of the US. So for example, Bitstamp, uh, which I think is based in Europe. The second way that they figure this stuff out is using blockchain analytics software. So things like Palantir, Chain Analysis, the IRS is a a client of these software, or is it, you know, they're using them as a vendor. So they are basically having a automated software scan in the blockchain, trying to figure out who is who and who's tra trading and transacting. And the third way is many of the exchanges issue some kind of IRS form. So for example, there's these forms called 1099K, 1099B, um, some exchanges, 1099 MISC, some of these exchanges are starting to issue these for certain types of users. And when they issue those forms, one copy goes to the user, the other copy goes to the IRS. And then if there's a discrepancy, when the tax filing time comes, the tax man knows, you know, hey, something's going on with this particular person. So they have various mechanisms that they're using to do this. And uh, Don Fort, who's the ex-chief of the IRS Criminal Investigations Division, recently, I, I think a couple of weeks ago, posted something saying that basically the year of 2020 was kind of the year of education with these warning letters and these updated FAQs and updated virtual currency page and IRS website. But now it's going to be the time for enforcement. And we've seen multiple big cases already start to come through with the John McAfee case. There was a case against a Microsoft engineer who was sentenced to nine years in prison. Um, and I think we're going to expect to see more enforcement now that it's becoming so mainstream. The The last thing I'll say about this is in the IRS, the, the num like sort of for those who are not familiar with the U.S. tax system, the main tax form for a U.S. individual is called the IRS Form 1040. And for the first time ever, the first question after your in name and address information on the first page of the form is, did you acquire any financial interest in a virtual currency in 2020? Yes or no. 
So it's not just do you have taxable event or not, not just did you make money or not, literally, did you buy any of these coins? And they don't do this with stocks or bonds or houses or anything else. So this is definitely something that they're paying a lot more attention to. And it would have seemed unheard of to do this, you know, <laughs> two, three years ago. And now it's the number one question on the forum. Well, um, I wouldn't be surprised that um, after COVID now, with uh, most countries experiencing deficits in their budgets, I think they will start looking at everything that can give them cash. Therefore, I wouldn't be surprised that they would intensify their efforts. On the other hand, one can understand that um, the tax authorities would want to bring equity in the system. Therefore, I think they wouldn't want to have situations where somebody is making a lot of money without paying tax. Therefore, in your opinion, if somebody like me, for example, at 64, I, I want to invest in cryptos, I think that most people like me would want to sleep at night. <laughs> Not worry <laughs> about, about taxes. Um, uh, therefore, you know, seeing this, these developments, I, I think that people should start looking really at tax and make sure that they start preparing themselves for all this. However, those people who buy the one Bitcoin here, the two Bitcoins there, or any other cryptocurrency, uh, do you think that for them there would be some kind of threshold? Because otherwise, I think that many people would say, well, with everything, I don't want to get into any mess with, with the tax authorities. Therefore, do you think that there can be peace of mind for somebody who would buy a small amount of, of cryptos? Um, just just to add on to that, because as we know, Bitcoin in the original white paper was designed as a peer-to-peer -peer payment system, right? And still I hear many people saying that they want to use crypto, such as Bitcoin specifically, to pay for their coffee and other random small purchases on a daily basis. And for me, I was always bewildered as to why you would do that not only from an investment point of view, but for the hassle it creates when it comes to taxation time. I don't know what's your view on that as well, together with what my, my dad mentioned. Okay, two great questions. So let me try to tackle them sequentially. In terms of small investments and sleeping at night, I definitely agree. Uh, no one wants to have the fear of being audited by some government authority at some point in the future. And remember, these are on blockchains, which are public ledgers for everyone to see forever that are uneditable. So even if you don't get caught today, you, know, you don't want to get caught 20 years from now. So sleeping at night is very important. Essentially, what I'd say is that's exactly the point of tools like Cointracker is that it makes it so easy to be compliant with the taxes that you don't have to worry about any of this. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is buying cryptocurrency is not a taxable event in any country that I know of. Um, again, this is informational only. Don't take this tax advice. You should double check with the tax advisor based on what country you're in. But as far as I know, buying cryptocurrency is not a taxable event, um, at least not in any of the countries that we serve. And so if you're just looking to invest, buying cryptocurrency is not going to cause a tax problem. The taxes kick in when you sell the cryptocurrency or you dispose of it or you try to cash out or you try to trade crypto to crypto. And so if you just... I, on the buying side, sorry to interject, I would just add that perhaps we should mention that the buying might imply taxation in those countries where there's a wealth tax. So if, if you're, it's part of your overall wealth. I mean, I'm mentioning this because we've seen 
the increase in many people's holdings that increased dramatically in one or two years, right? And that might have pushed them within the bracket for wealth tax. So thankfully, there are not many countries that have wealth tax. But if you're in one of those countries, it's something to keep in mind. Really good point. I, I guess if it's a, a true wealth tax, then whether it's in cash or in cryptocurrency, it shouldn't matter. But I guess cryptocurrencies are much more volatile. So there's a chance it could, you know, 10x, 100x in a way that might put you above on these thresholds. So really good yeah, point. I mean, to we, we've, we've seen this actually, like Spain, for example, the cutoff date is the 31st December. So you can imagine in, in 2017, people went from <laughs> middle class to, to rich, you know, and mm -hmm. then it went all back down, you know. So so the next year you had to pay massive taxes based on money you didn't really have, you know, the wealth that you didn't have. So that's dangerous. Right. That is true. So you're right. You're right to correct me here. It, it, you, you should be careful anytime you invest in any kind of asset like this. What I'd say, though, is that for this, the original question, if it's a small amount, then the things to keep in mind are make sure you have good records. Investing like you know, in cryptocurrency shouldn't be any scarier or give you more sleepless nights than investing in other asset classes. The reason it does is because people don't necessarily keep track of everything they're doing. And then they end up in these nightmare scenarios when it's tax filing time, they don't know what they did and they forgot and they lost the key and they don't know what transactions they had or what the cost basis was. So that's why keeping good records will basically allow you to get that sleep at night that you want. And Tools like Coin Tracker will automatically do this for you, um, and especially if you're a small investor, you can probably take advantage of our, our free tools. So it you know, doesn't cost you anything if you're doing a small amount of investing. To the second point, oh, and actually one other thing, there's certain countries like you mentioned this, uh, the threshold in Spain. I know, for example, in Germany, there's a de minimis exception if you're making small purchases where they're not going to worry about capital gains tax. In UK, HMRC has a capital gains allowance, which is over ten thousand pounds now. So again, if you're making small amounts, then you're not going to have to super worry about those kinds of things. It depends on which country you're in. But I think if you're making small investments, testing the waters, the important thing is keep good records. For the second question around why would you ever want to use a uh, an asset like this to buy coffee and worry about taxes, I, I sort of agree with you, the current situation we're in. The killer use case for Bitcoin and cryptocurrency right now is not buying coffee at your coffee shop. Right now, in my opinion, the killer use case for Bitcoin right now is being a store of value and a better store of value than any store of value we've ever had in human history, including gold. That may change over time, like a lot of monetary sort of historical patterns have suggested that whenever there's a new type of money introduced, it starts as a store of value and then eventually becomes a medium of exchange once it gets enough adoption and then eventually becomes a unit of account when it gets sort of totally widespread mainstream ad adoption. So I could see that happening, but right now, given the tax situation and just given the fact that the primary use case is this sort of long-term store of value and that a lot of people who are bullish on cryptocurrency and Bitcoin specifically, including myself, kind of think it's hugely undervalued today compared to where it will be in 50 years that make it so that, you know, why would you want to spend it as currency right now? So that is, I, I sort of agree with the premise I think you were setting up there that again, there's a lot of reasons why that might change in the future, given the adoption, given changes in tax rules, given new technologies like Lightning Network and things like that, that might make it easier to have faster, cheaper transactions off chain. But um, right now, I think the killer use case is store of value. Yeah, uh, perhaps I, I should have clarified that it's not a Bitcoin only problem. I mean, you mentioned the Lightning Network. One could be buying with Litecoin or, or other coins, but still the taxation problem would remain, right? You have to keep track of every little purchase and pay tax on it as if it were a sale 
and you'd have capital gains tax in that case. Right. You can think of it kind of like if you were buying things with stocks, for example, if you could just go to the coffee shop and give them, you know, a fraction of your Google stock and then buy the coffee, you would also pay capital gains tax on that. It's kind of similar. So I agree. That's not like a compelling use case right now. There are certain times where it might make sense. For example, if you're trying to buy something like internationally and it's hard to pay in a foreign currency, like we've run into this at Cointracker when we sometimes will pay bug bounties to people who are ethical hackers in other countries. And it's a huge hassle to send someone $200 in Australia or Pakistan or wherever they are. It's extremely trivial to send someone that amount of Bitcoin. So there are some cases where it does make sense. Um, but yeah, I think in general, that's not the killer use case today based on our current situation. Shandon, in the USA, is there a distinction between income tax and capital gains tax? That is, if I'm trading regularly in cryptos, as opposed to somebody who would sell you know, one Bitcoin one, once every couple of years. Does it make a difference um, in that respect? And are the tax rates different between capital gains tax and income tax? Yes and yes. It makes a big difference. There's a different tax scheme for sort of hobbyists, which would be someone who's like me, like, you know, I have a day job, but I, I do a little bit of buying or selling here and there versus someone who is a, like a trader. And the difference is the hobbyists are going to be subjected to capital gains tax, like you suggested. And the rates for that are basically they depend on whether they're long term or short term, which I think other countries have the same scheme, too. So if it's a year or less, you pay short term capital gains tax, which is the same as your marginal ordinary income tax rate, which ranges from like 10 to 37 percent in the U.S. And then if you hold them for more than a year, then the long term capital gains tax rate is more like uh, something like zero to 20 ish percent. So it's it's about half. So that is for ordinary obvious type of people who are dabbling around in cryptocurrency. Traders have a totally different scheme and they can use uh, ordinary income. Uh, and then they sort of net that out at the end of the year. Also, really advanced traders can do it, it, things like to make a 475F election, which allows them to mark to market at the end of the year. So even if you have open positions, you can kind of take the realized gain or loss at the end of the year even if you haven't actually closed the position. So there are a lot more advanced things traders can do to sort of impact their track tax situation and the rates are, are very different. Therefore, are you saying that they are revalued at the end of the year and the um, revaluation uplift or the impairment are taken for tax purposes? There are uh, basically ways that you can do that if you want to, if you're an advanced trader. So if you're like, this would not apply to someone who is trading $10,000 of cryptocurrency here and there. This is like, if you're doing millions of dollars of transactions, if you're a serious trader, then you can make these elections and mark to market. So yeah, it's, it's an option. Available you you mentioned tax harvesting uh, in your website. Uh, and I think that maybe we should discuss a bit this, this interesting um, option that uh, somebody can, can use to reduce his tax bill. Yeah, absolutely. So it's uh, quite a simple scheme. Um, the idea is that you can sell an asset at an unrealized capital loss and then buy it back immediately. So let's look at an example of that. Let's say you buy one Bitcoin for $1,000 and then the market is really volatile. It goes up, it goes down. Now it's at $500. So you're at $500 unrealized capital loss. If you sell the asset, you are going to incur that $500 loss, but you won't have your Bitcoin anymore. But then if you just 
immediately buy it back, you now have the exact same portfolio you had before, but you also have a $500 capital loss that you can use to offset other parts of your tax return. So normally in the US, for example, this is disallowed for securities like stocks because the IRS doesn't want people playing games and just trying to like optimize their tax return. But Bitcoin is not a security. In fact, in the US, it's considered a commodity. So therefore, there is kind of this tax loophole for Bitcoin uh, in the US that allows people who are savvy to take advantage of this. It's totally legal. And it basically allow you to maintain your portfolio while um, being smart about reducing taxes. There are some complexities here. Certain cryptocurrencies are securities. For example, there's currently a lawsuit from the SEC against Ripple saying that it's a security. So if that goes through, then that would not be applicable for those kinds of things. There's also other advanced things that might come into play, like certain economic doctrine. So this might not apply to everyone in all situations. But the, the general idea is there are ways of being smart about your tax portfolio without impacting the performance of the portfolio or without changing the portfolio at all. And again, that's where tools like Cointracker can help you figure out how to take advantage of these things. Again, not tax advice, informational only. <laughs> Therefore, I would sell on the 31st of December and buy immediately after or 1st January, say, well, you can buy next day, right? Yeah, you can buy the next day. You can buy, you, can buy the, you can buy the same day. It doesn't actually matter. You can do this. You don't even have to wait till the end of the year. You can do this in January and start mm -hmm. realizing the losses now. The thing that you would normally do if you did not want a tax loss harvest, that's when you get into this sticky situations that Jean mentioned earlier. For example, if the, there's a massive bull market at the end of the year, like in 2017, and then you realize those gains, like let's say your BTC accumulates 10x the amount of value and you're like, oh, I'm so excited, I'm going to get some Ether too. And you trade Bitcoin for Ether, you've realized this 10x gain and then January 1st, 2018 hits and everything plummets down 100x. Now you're really screwed. So those are the kinds of situations you want to avoid by taking advantage of tax loss harvesting opportunities when they arise. Okay, therefore, these tax losses can be offset against... Uh gains on, on cryptos, obviously. But can they be also offset against other gains? In the US, or, yes. For example, person, personal income? Yes. So in the US, you can offset capital gains of any asset class that is also subjected to the same types of capital gain stocks. So for example, let's say you had losses in Bitcoin, but gains on your stock portfolio, you could net them out. And then if you still have losses, like let's say you're a really bad crypto trader and you've accumulated $50,000 of losses. Carry them forward. Yeah, you can carry them forward. You can also offset um, some of your ordinary income for the tax year. So for example, for an individual in the US, you could offset $3,000 worth of ordinary income and lo actually lower your whole tax bill and then carry forward the remaining net losses to future years indefinitely. And what are the tax deductible expenses? For example, transaction costs, uh, security, you know, uh, somebody holding the wallet for you or professional fees. And what happens if you're hacked, for example? Is that a tax deductible expense? Can you prove okay, it? <laughs> lots, of, lots of complexities in these situations that depend a little bit on the facts and circumstances. So it'll depend a bit on the situation, how things are lost or how they're hacked. Let me try to give you kind of a high level answer that is at least somewhat satisfying. And then if people have specific questions, we have more specific blog posts for each situation or we're happy to connect people with tax advisors. So in general, okay, let, let's go through the, the different scenarios. If you lose the funds, so if you like forgot your key or something like that, too bad. That's the US government basically says, 
if you lost your crypto in a boating accident, that doesn't mean you just get to write it off or you don't get to file. You still have to pay the taxes that you have accumulated up until the point where you own the asset. You don't just get to write them off. If they are like a useless asset, like let's say you buy some random altcoin and it, it goes, its value goes to zero, then you can realize that loss by disposing of the asset so that you can either sell it for, you know, 0.00001, you know, dollars, or you can send it to a null address, or you can send it to a third party, or, you know, whatever, convert the desk balance on an exchange, any, excuse me, any way of, uh, of sort of realizing that loss will essentially allow you to claim that capital loss. Let's say there's zero liquidity, though, let's say it gets delisted from all the exchanges, there's no trading pairs, no one wants to buy this you know, this asset that's totally worthless, then you get kind of into the sticky situation where it's a bit of a gray area. Um, the conservative thing to do would be to just just hold the asset and it's, you know, too bad. If you want to take a slightly more aggressive position, and you should talk to your tax advisor about this, then you can try to document that you did every possible thing you could to try to dispose of the asset, including you try to go to the exchange, you try to send the asset, they won't let you withdraw it, they won't let you sell it, there's no liquidity anywhere. And it's totally worthless, and then you might be able to claim a loss. And it's like proving bad debts, sort of, in the commercial s- business. Yeah. So, somewhat similar to that. And then similarly, for if you have funds that are stolen, like let's say you were hacked or something like that, as of the tax and job, uh, like so TCGA, it's the new tax laws of January 1st, 2018, stolen property cannot be claimed as a loss. So you can't just say, I lost my crypto in a boating accident and Therefore, I'm not paying taxes on it. Too bad. Um, they basically don't want people trying to scam the government out of their taxes. So there are certain situations in which you might be able to get an exception. For example, if there's a actual criminal prosecution from an organization like the SEC saying this specific ICO coin was an absolute fraud and all the investors should get their money back, then you might be able to have recourse. But just generally being hacked or stolen does not qualify you for a full refund. I see. Another headache is identifying which crypto you have sold. For example, if you have bought cryptos over the past five years and you sell some of them now, is it a first in first out? Can you opt for a last in first out? Obviously, with rising prices, it would be better for the taxpayer to opt for last in out. <laughs> but uh, most probably the tax authorities would go for the first in first out option. What's your view and how do you help your clients in this respect? Because it can be quite a headache. This is a very insightful question and shows that you definitely have an accounting background. Basically, every country does it differently. So in the US, for example, there are two options. Option one is first in, first out. Exactly what you said. First Bitcoin you buy, first Bitcoin you sell. Doesn't actually have to be the exact same Bitcoin. For example, let's say you have a Coinbase account and a Binance account, and you buy your first Bitcoin on Coinbase and your second Bitcoin on Binance, and then you sell the Binance Bitcoin. From an accounting perspective, FIFO Universal, they would still consider the first Bitcoin you got on Coinbase as the first one. So the accounting FIFO is different than the actual practical, you know, what is happening on the ground FIFO. The second option is what they call specific identification. And that means you can do whatever you want. You can pick whichever coin to sell at whatever time in whatever order, according to any algorithm, as arbitrarily complicated as you want. However, you need to have extremely detailed records including a bunch of information as to what date it was, what the timestamp it was, which wallet identifier it was from, or which exchange, what quantity, what uh, currency, 
there's a bunch of information you need to show to kind of prove that you're not just making this up and that there's actually some rhyme and reason to it. And so what CoinTracker does is it basically looks at the systems and figures out what is most tax advantageous for a given individual, which is usually something called highest in first out, meaning the coin with the highest cost basis is the one that is first disposed of, meaning your capital gains are minimized. For most users in most situations, that ends up being the most tax advantageous, and that's what we default to for new US users. Now, in other countries, it's a totally different situation. In Canada, for example, they use average cost basis. In the UK, they have this complicated scheme called share pooling, which is really complicated. If you're interested in that, you should just Google it. It's incredibly complicated. In Australia, the ATO defaults to first in, first out. So different countries do it differently, but um, there are huge, massive differences in the tax bill based on what method you choose. And that's why we try to help people with this. As a parent, sometimes I, I think about donations to my children's normal <laughs> and uh, obviously uh, this country got tax in many countries there, there is donation tax in other countries no what's the situation and how are donations of cryptocurrencies viewed in the u.s so there's a whole tax law around gifting in the u.s and uh, you know we could we could do a phd thesis on this but the the summary is there's a, a threshold below which there's no taxable event for donating any kind of sort of cash transfer, including Bitcoin, to another person. And I think the limit right now is around $14,000 per person. So let's say you're feeling really generous. You know, son has been behaving really well this year, uh, <laughs> growing the podcast like crazy. So you could give him up to $14,000 of Bitcoin totally tax-free for the year. And you can do that every year. It's per calendar year. And let's say you have a sibling or a spouse who also wants to do that. It's per person. So each of the people can do this up to the 14000 tax-free. And then if it goes above that, then you run into some kind of taxable situation. Is this restricted to the inner family? Uh, no, this is a gift for anyone. So you could give it Even to, your, to charities, you know, for example. Friend. Charities are a bit different. With uh, 501c3 donations, the rules are a bit different. But for any individual, a friend, pizza guy, son, the gift limit for that person between those people is is, um, is that 14,000. Okay, and then when they sell them? Okay, so <laughs> when the assets are eventually sold, the tax person's always gonna want to get their cut. So the what, what, what you're gonna look at, in general, the way you calculate capital gains taxes in the US is you look at the value at the time you sold them, which is your proceeds, minus your cost basis. The cost basis is very simple if you're just buying the assets, you just look at how much you paid for them. With gifting, it's quite complex. There's a whole scheme based on what the basis was at the time that the original the gifter got them and how that compares to the price at the time that the gift happened. And depending on which one's higher, there's some there's like oh, oh there's like sort of like a system around the which one off. you end up using. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it, it basically there's some rules to prevent people from dodging taxes by using gifts. But Eventually, if you dispose of the asset, you will pay some taxes. And if you barter, uh, because John mentioned paying, you know, um, you can barter as well. Um, sometimes it's difficult to for the tax authorities to catch people who, who barter. I mean, yeah, two things I wanted to mention was uh, the case of airdrops, which I guess something similar happens, like a donation. Airdrops are a bit complicated. Uh, and a bit of a gray area too. So just for those who aren't familiar, airdrop is when you get a coin that you didn't ask for. Someone just sends you a coin. So that could be a marketing thing 
or or something like that, and you just want to promote your coin and you just send it out to people. Or um, a fork. As so well. yeah, the fork situation is a little bit different. But yeah, fork is when you have one coin and it turns into two or more coins because there is not complete consensus in the community as to how the protocol should continue to evolve. So maybe like let's say with Bitcoin, some people think we should keep it the way it is. Some people think we should make the network a little bit less secure, but much faster. And so then they split the coin into two different blockchains. One is Bitcoin, one is Bitcoin Cash. And then everyone who has Bitcoin gets an equivalent amount of Bitcoin Cash at the time of the fork. So what do you do now? You have two coins instead of one. What's the tax story? Depends from country to country. Each person does it differently. In the US, there is basically sort of the conservative approach is when you get some kind of new asset, whether from a fork or from an airdrop, you treat that as an ordinary income just like you were getting paid from your employer in cash and you pay your marginal or ordinary income tax rate on that. And that also becomes your cost basis for the asset so that if you were to dispose of it at a future time, then you pay capital gains on the difference between the proceeds and that cost basis. If you want to take a more aggressive approach, which some people have tried, then you could say there's zero income, zero basis, and you only pay taxes when you dispose of the asset up to the full fair market value at the time of disposition. That is a pretty aggressive stance. I wouldn't recommend it. But if that is something you want to do, again, you can talk to your tax advisor about it. Yeah, in the case of barters, I also came across a few websites where you can buy like expensive art, watches, whiskey, like all the most expensive things in the world, sending Bitcoin. Right. I doubt people are paying taxes in that case, but yeah. technically it's also a taxable event, right? Same Absolutely. Like buying the coffee. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, I mean, the government doesn't care whether you're paying for it with cash or with Bitcoin. At the end of the day, you're paying for the thing and the spirit and the, uh, the spirit and the letter of the law is, <laughs> you know, you pay, you pay the tax on uh, gains of an asset. So from their perspective, it doesn't matter if it's your, your bartering, or calling, call it what you want, you pay your tax. Okay, Shandon, uh, it was extremely interesting talking to you. Um, <laughs> what's your message to the non-US potential clients? Uh, where can you help them and how? I would say like I have two messages. Uh, the broad message is if you haven't considered cryptocurrency and specifically Bitcoin, I uh, recommend at least learning more about it. Not necessarily investing. Um, I would say that you know you should only do that if you're really comfortable with it, but it's worth spending an hour learning a little bit more about Bitcoin and what it is and why it exists and why it has so much hype and what are the fundamentals. And the easiest way to do that is just to go read the original white paper. If you haven't read the original white paper and you're an investor, absolutely go make some time, spend an hour, go read it. It's nine pages and it's worthwhile understanding this because it's going to be a major force in finance globally for the next several decades. The second message is more narrowly tailored to me and Cointracker, which is if you do get interested in cryptocurrency, or if you already have cryptocurrency, and if you're having any trouble with portfolio tracking, accounting, taxes, keeping track of your assets, give us a try. We'd love to help you. The website is www.cointracker.io. And I think you folks have a discount for, for your users. So um, use the discount and we'd love to help you out. Cool. Um, uh, from my end, thanks a lot for, for being with us. I just wanted to address one last question because this is something that comes up when I talk about Coin Tracker and other similar tools with my friends about the and especially with what happened with the Ledger hack recently, right? What info is being stored on uh, Coin Tracker and what are the risks or how would you address the concern of many people about sharing their 
crypto portfolio with a third party website? It's a really good question. And I think it's important to take seriously, especially in the crypto space where there's no refunds and there's no customer support from the Bitcoin blockchain to get your money back if you send it to the wrong address. So for those who aren't familiar, the ledger hack, basically my understanding of it is that they, I think uh, uh, maybe close to a million people had their personal information, including their name and their address and their phone number and a bunch of PII stored in some kind of database for marketing purposes. And that was leaked to the public. And so the problem with that is now people know a bunch of personal information about these people and that they are tied to Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. With Cointracker, we never ask people for their name, their address. We never ask people for their social security number or any anything like that. All you need to sign up is an email. And for people who are security or privacy conscious, a lot of people just create a burner account or a Proton Mail account or some kind of anonymous email. And that's totally fine. We don't care. We're just trying to help you. We don't need to know who you are. Second thing is we do not ever ask you for any information about private keys or access to your funds. We are just here to help you track your portfolio and do your accounting and taxes. It's all read access only. So even if we wanted to, even if we were compromised, we couldn't take your funds. And then the third thing is we go through pretty extensive sort of security processes in order to make sure that people's information is private and secure and that we are not like sort of making ourselves vulnerable to third parties. So for example, some of the things we do there are we have a super strong engineering team that puts a lot of effort into testing. The second thing is we have two-factor authentication available for people who want to basically ensure their account is secure, even if, for example, their passwords were compromised somehow. We don't store any of the passwords in plain text. They're all encrypted and hashed and sort of rest. We go through third-party penetration testing every year so that people can try to hack into Cointracker and we can fix those issues. We have a bug bounty program. So if people find issues, we pay them and reward them for doing that instead of selling those things to other kinds of hackers. We recently partnered with Coinbase. They had a pretty extensive security onboarding process that we do also annually to make sure we're staying compliant and um, up to par. So we do a lot of things. Ultimately, you are responsible at the end of the day for your own information and for, for your own cryptocurrency transaction stuff. So you definitely want to make sure you're only providing that to parties that you absolutely trust. And then if any point you don't trust the platform anymore, Cointracker makes it super easy to remove all your information, delete your account permanently, and get rid of all the data. You can do that at any time without any questions asked. So that's what I'd say. Awesome. Very good information. One last curiosity, because when it comes to selling and paying taxes, that's all fine. But one problem we've, we've encountered here in Europe, at least, is getting the money off the exchanges and into the banks. How's the situation in the US? And maybe have you heard about what's happening around the world in general with regards to banking? I know that uh, exchanges like Kraken are, have their own bank. Avanti has opened their own bank as well. Where do you see this going? Okay, that's an interesting question. I'm not super familiar with this particular problem. Like I've personally never had any issues moving money between my bank, like my US bank accounts and cryptocurrency exchanges back and forth. But I have heard some stories, which is super unfortunate because cryptocurrency is becoming more and more mainstream. And there are now, as you've just listed, on there the, are On the other hand, you know what, Chan, and it makes me super bullish because when I know how difficult it is for people in Europe, you know, to acquire Bitcoin, let alone sell it, you know, there's a huge potential for growth in terms of adoptions still to go, you know, maybe people in the US don't actually realize how difficult it is for people outside the US to, to get crypto sometimes. Absolutely. I mean, you, just hearing you say this is super interesting for me. I wasn't even aware to the, the scale of this problem. Well, this, so this yeah. boils down to anti-money laundering, you know. 
Yeah, makes sense. Um, although I will just sort of mention off, off, offhand that I just saw the latest chain analysis report that suggested that in 2020, 0.34% of Bitcoin transactions, cryptocurrency transactions, were used for illicit activity, which compares to about one third of USD transactions are used for illegal activity. So I think the scale of illegal activity with cryptocurrency is often vastly exaggerated by 100x actually, hold on, 0.34, 1, 2, yeah, by about 100x in the media because it like, drives clicks, but it's totally not based in reality. Um, but back to your main question, yeah, I mean, wow, crazy to hear that that's such a big issue in Europe and, and a lot of places. Um, and you're right, that just creates more and more opportunity for folks. And it's very, very clear to me that in the future, people are going to look back at this and just be baffled that that was ever the case, that, you know, you couldn't just own your own money and custody your own your own funds, and you had to rely on some kind of institution to do that for you. It's going to seem crazy to people someday. Yep, agreed. <laughs> Shandan, it's been terrific having you on. Thanks for giving us so much information. I'm sure people will want to listen to this once or twice to make sure they digest all the knowledge uh thanks again you've already shared where people can can meet you but it's cointracker.io for the website and yeah i encourage everyone to check out your tool i've been using it for a number of years now i think right from the very early days and uh, i found it to be very very good especially for people who are using multiple exchanges and now with DeFi, you just my mind is blown with all the little bits of crypto here and there that I have to keep track of. So something like Coin Tracker comes out really handy. So thanks again for being with us. Thank you so, so much for, for the conversation and just for being supportive over all these years. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Thank you. So there we go. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I highly encourage you to give us some feedback about the previous episodes and this episode as well. And if you like what we've been producing, please leave us a review on iTunes. It would be very, very helpful for us to know how we're doing. And, you know, you can reach out to us at podcast at mastermind.fm if you would like to have any type of suggestions or want us to interview someone in particular, please do reach out and stay safe and we'll see you in the next episode.